Well, again, I just want to say how special this group of seniors is. Uh, really, it's been so cool to watch them uh, just grow over the last year. And I know they're ready for what God has for them. Uh, but we're going to continue in our series. It may seem a little bit odd, but I promise you it'll make all sense. Uh, kind of where we're going and what we're celebrating. We are talking to seniors. We're also talking to you this morning. But I'll start with a story. So my... Uh, my family in high school, we bought a boat. I think it was around my freshman to sophomore year. But I say I think because I've had a few concussions since then. And I don't know if it's right. Or, I mean, it may be in eighth grade, whatever. Regardless, the point is we got this boat. And my dad would take us tubing uh, on Lake Tyler. I don't know if it was we weren't pro enough or crazy enough on Palestine. But there's too many stumps, so we just never went. Uh, but I'm from Henderson. So that's side of the... Uh, other side of, of Tyler. But anyways, we were tubing on Lake Tyler. We spent lots of Sunday afternoons on the lake. And we would uh, grab on this tube. We had a big, it was like a three-person tube. It was giant, but it would take flight. I mean, it would literally go. And I think the person who had the most fun in all of that was my dad. Um, some of you dads of teenage boys wish you had a tube in a boat this afternoon probably, right? Maybe even you dads of senior boys. I don't know. Just saying. Uh, but like that was something that he loved. Uh, and it, he just had a ton of fun, which I can only imagine how much fun it will be. Because I'll, I'll send my son through the same thing probably, right? But the, the piece of it was he would just start going and it was faster and faster and faster. And all of a sudden, uh, like you felt like the boat was going faster. And I think the throttle was just dropping as we would go more and more and more. Uh, but after a long day of him throwing us around on a tube, just hanging on for dear life, there will be points where we would just get tired enough uh, and just kind of let go. He'd be like, hey, what did, you, what did you let go for? It's like, Dad, you're just throwing me around. Like, I, I'm just, but uh, anyway, all that to say, man, we did that a ton. And in the midst of that, I think about this story and this picture uh, because where we were is we would just grab onto that tube and we'd hold on for dear life and just hope that we could make it to the end, right? Like we're just, we're just hanging on and there were times where like in my, my hand, it's starting to slip and it's opening and I'm just trying as hard as I can mentally to like close it and it's just not closing and finally I'm flying off the tube. But this morning, maybe uh, you have come in and you're holding on to something like that. Like, I don't know what it is. I heard this morning from somebody who talked about, man, there's this emergency that, that happened this morning. And, and they're just kind of holding on to it and holding on to uh, trying to figure out what's going on with their loved one. There may be something else that you are just trying to hold on to. Maybe you're just trying to hold on to the calendar and keep it all together until one more week, until summer, right? Like, that may be where you're at. Seniors, this morning, you may be just holding on to this last little bit of this chapter in your life that you have no idea what's coming next. You've got plans and all this stuff, but you don't know. Like, my question is to you this morning, what are you holding on to this morning? What have you come in the room carrying and holding on to and just kind of for dear life trying to... Pull it all together and keep hold of the control that you have over this situation or your life or your comfort or whatever it may be. Like, what are you holding on to? What thing has become such a big deal in your life that you're trying to control? Maybe you're coming in this morning and you're just struggling because you realize you can't control it at all. And you're wrestling with what do I do with this and what's happening here and what's going on. For me, as I thought about this uh, day, I, 12 or 13 years ago, not great at math, but 12 or 13 years ago was my senior Sunday. 
Some of you, that you're like, man, that makes me feel old. Well, it makes me feel old too, okay? So let me just kind of relish in that. Uh, but 12 or 13 years ago, I was at the point where I was at my senior Sunday just kind of wrestling with a lot of tension. I felt like I was supposed to go into ministry, but I was just kind of running from that. I was dealing with a lot of pain and hurt. It happened in the beginning of my senior year. All these things going on. And so I'm sitting there in my senior Sunday just trying to grip and hold together my life as much as I thought because I had all these plans. I was going to go to A&M and be a doctor, and I uh, went to A&M, whoop, right, any Aggies? Y'all are a little quiet this morning, but it's okay. Uh, so I went, you know, to A&M, and I was going to be a doctor, and I was going to, I knew what I was going to specialize in, like all this stuff, holding it in my hands, trying to just keep it all together, because my life looked totally different then than I thought it would at the end of my senior year, and it looks totally different now than I thought it would in 10 years. But we do this, right? Like we hold on to things and we try to control things in our lives that we just don't have any control over. We try to hold on to them as much as we can and just muscle up as much as we can. Maybe this morning you're feeling like it's kind of starting to slip and you're losing control. You don't have control of your life. And this is not a new problem for humanity. Like, we have been struggling this for a long time, literally all the way back to the garden. Genesis 3, we see this uh, kind of struggle between Adam and Eve and, and Satan, the serpent, who's trying to trick them into taking a bite of this fruit that God said, don't eat. And in the midst of this conversation and tension and all this stuff, Satan brings up to them, hey, this is just God trying to keep you from being like him, from knowing all things, from having control. But that looked good, right? It looked tempting. It looked like, man, this is something I want. And so they grabbed a hold of that, and they took it. This is what sin is. It's disobeying God's rule and creation and order for our lives and doing our own thing and holding on to our control of our lives. That's what this is. And so we've struggled with it for a long time, and we continue to struggle with it. We're continuing our series in Matthew 22 this morning. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. I'm going to read a little bit, and, I'll, and then we'll go back and kind of work through this story. But it says this in verse 23. That same day, some Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came up to him and questioned him. Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother is to marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. 25, now there were seven brothers among us. The first got married and died, having no offspring. He left his wife to his second also, and the third, and so on to all seven. Last of all, the woman died. In the resurrection then, whose wife will she be of the seven? For they all had married her. Jesus answered them, verse 29, you are mistaken. Because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God for the resurrection they neither marry, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now concerning the resurrection of the dead, haven't you read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Verse 33, and then the crowds, and when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Now, there's a lot going on here, and there's a lot of, of kind of insider information that we don't have. 
in that culture, there's just some things happening with all these people uh, that makes this kind of a mic drop moment uh, in, in Jesus' life and kind of in his ministry. But what we see is this first group, and I want you to notice this. It says this, that same day could literally be translated in that hour. So we're talking about the same situation as we talked about last week. If you were here and you heard this, it was this conversation between the Pharisees and the Herodians, uh, two other groups of uh, people. And so in the midst of this conversation, in that hour, in the same day, there comes another conversation. And this time, it's not the Pharisees or the Herodians, it's this group of people called the Sadducees. The Sadducees were a group of people who, right here, it says they, they say there is no resurrection. They didn't believe in the resurrection. In fact, the Sadducees would say uh, that when you die, kind of all life ends. Your soul doesn't live, your spirit doesn't live, like nothing, it's just over. And so as these uh, Sadducees come up, they've seen the Pharisees and the Herodians kind of go to Jesus, and they're coming in going, no, we got it, we can get him. We've got him. We can trap him. The other thing that's interesting about the room is it doesn't say that the Pharisees necessarily left. They may have stepped back or all this stuff, but we we don't know. There may have been some of them sticking around, maybe even some of them that weren't a part of the group that was having the conversation with Jesus, but were still there. These groups of people were always so interested in Jesus, always trying to follow him around, seeing what he said and what he did. He kind of made them nervous when he walked into the room. And so more than likely, there were Pharisees that were sticking around or other people that kind of would follow along that line of thought. And so the the, uh, Sadducees not only disagreed with Jesus, but they disagreed with the Pharisees. Pharisees would say that there is uh, a resurrection, it's just not Jesus. And so you got two groups of people, uh, kind of Jesus in the middle, that are all kind of fighting and not, don't like each other or not really happy with each other. And so as the Sadducees come up, they're saying this with this bend, like, ah, we're going to get him here. Pharisees, y'all couldn't do it. Watch out. Here we go. We're going to get him. And they're probably confidently walking in like the game's won. Like they, they've got this. And so as they do this, they walk up to him. They believe there's no resurrection. And then they come and they question him with this and they call him this word first teacher and I just want you to see kind of what they're doing in the midst of this This is the same word that was used by the Pharisees and the Herodians in that conversation we talked about last week teacher would have been a a word of respect it would have been like calling somebody sir or ma'am or 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 doctor or, or whatever like a title that they had been given that gave more honor or respect teacher they're opening with this line to communicate, uh, one, that his, his authority. He is a teacher. He is someone, even though they didn't believe in him or didn't do it, they're recognizing that. But they're recognizing that because they want his power and authority. They want Jesus' control. They want uh, the control of the room. They want the power of the room. They're also saying this to Jesus as a way of mocking him. Hey, if you really are a teacher, kind of in their minds, if you really are a teacher, you'll be able to answer our question. You'll be able to say what what, uh, we need to say. You won't be tricked by this. And they thought they had him tricked. They thought they had this one. So not only are they trying to trick Jesus and kind of mock him, but they're also trying to claim his power and authority. Because even though they didn't believe in it for themselves, they knew this man had something different about him. He had some kind of power and authority. So they say, teacher. And then they bring this next name in, Moses. Moses said this. Well, why would they talk about Moses? 
Moses was a big deal. Moses parted the Red Seas. Moses uh, was a big deal to the, the, the nation of Israel. Matthew is a book written to, to Jews. It's written to people who were of the nation of Israel. So Moses is a big deal to them. It would have been a household name, that kind of a, an ambassador for whatever it is. I mean, Moses is the guy. So he say, hey, Moses, you, you know, Moses said this. And he's right, or they are right. Moses did say this. If a man dies having no children, his brother is to marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Seems kind of strange. Uh, Moses did say this, but he didn't originate it. He didn't create it. But it would appear that Moses is the one that made this law. This was Levite law found in Genesis 38, before Moses ever came around. And Moses is at a point where as he's leading the people, he's leading with all this law. And so Moses does say it, but he's not uh, creating it. He's not um, kind of like maybe what the uh, Herodian, I mean, what the Sadducees are trying to create here. And so in the midst of them trying to maintain control of the situation, nervous about who Jesus is, they make this seem and kind of bend these things how they want to to make it seem like they have a really good point. The other piece of this, and the Sadducees, they're talking about death and all this stuff, is you kind of think, and scholars will say that they didn't really last, this group didn't really last or stick together until shortly after um, 70 AD, which it was hard to probably deny a truth of an empty tomb. So they just didn't really stick around. So this is kind of the last uh, maybe band of them or whatever. They're, they're, they're kind of weeding out after this or going away after this. But they're trying to set this trap. The other thing about this is they only held the part of the Bible. So they would hold on to the Pentateuch as uh, authoritative, or the Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible. That's the only thing that has any kind of power over us. They didn't hold to anything else. And so as they're talking about it, and as they're talking about Jesus, they're referencing this verse in Moses, or this verse that Moses said in Deuteronomy 25. But actually, this was brought up in Genesis 38, and in Jesus' day, most scholars would say that this practice wasn't really around because the brother actually had the choice to marry or not. And so it's quite possible that they are bringing up an old law that not a lot of people understood using Moses' name to try to sway the room so that they could get kind of people going uh, wherever they're at. Why? Because they're after Jesus' authority because Jesus uh, is something that makes them nervous. And they're trying to bend the Bible and say what they want it to say. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful about just trying to ask this question, what are you holding on to? We can become to this point where we want to bend things to make the Bible say what we want to say when we need it to say a certain thing, right? Be careful. So what do they say? They tell this story. And this is, uh, they said, now there were seven brothers among us. And this could uh, kind of illustrate maybe that this was a story that happened that, that people knew about. More than likely, this is a hypothetical story, again, that they're, they're talking about. They're just saying, hey, th this, this happened. Because, again, they're telling uh, this story, and we'll see in a minute that they're pointing to the resurrection, which they didn't believe in. They're just kind of using this story to talk about it, again, to try to put Jesus in a trap. So they tell this story. Basically, there's a, a, a guy that marries a woman. He has seven brothers. He dies, and then the rest of them die, and, and the woman finally dies. And then they point to the resurrection, which, again, they don't believe in. 
They're just using the Bible to get uh, what they want across. They're just using this whole situation uh, to get their authority or to grab the authority of Jesus, and they think that this is going to work. And so they propose a story or a situation that would, they think, put Jesus at a point that he can't get out of. They're trying to paint him into a corner, uh, make sure that he can't say anything, because if in their minds, if Jesus were to say that yes, there is a resurrection, and yes, uh, he's going to be married, then he's, he's condoning a, a man or a woman having seven husbands, which I don't even know is something you'd want, right, ladies? But, but if Jesus is condoning this, that's not good. It's not good today. It wasn't good then. Like, it's not something that's good. So they thought, well, if he, if he says that this is okay, then, then we've got him. But then they also thought, well, if he denies this, then he's denying the resurrection because the resurrection is as we say it is. Again, these men were wrestling for control. They wanted their life to look a certain way. They wanted the future to look a certain way. They wanted things to line up how they believed them. And they kind of just chopped up part of the Bible and took it to say what they wanted to mean it to say. Now, how'd they get to this point? How'd they get to this point? Because they're holding on to something so tightly that they can't let go of it. And when you hold on to things and you hold on to control in your life, then Jesus becomes a threat. In this moment, Jesus had become a threat to them. He wasn't something that just, he wasn't a person that just only made them nervous. He was a threat and they're trying to overtake his authority. Why? Because they, they view him as a threat. So again, I'll ask the question, what are you holding on to? What did you walk in this morning that you're holding on to and the tube's about to go around the curve in the corner and you're about to feel the G-forces and you're just trying to hang on? If there's pilots, you're like G-forces, that's not G-forces, right? But that's my version of a G-force. But as you're coming around the corner, you're bracing for it, and here you go, and you're just going to hold on as tight as you can because that's all you can do. If that's where you're at this morning, whatever you're holding on to, if you're there, then you, uh, Jesus, if he's not already, will ultimately become a threat to you. Seniors, what are you holding on to? Your plans, or your comfort, your desires, what you're going to do and not do what things you're going to make important in your life and not important. Parents, what are you holding on to? Maybe it's your senior. Maybe it's a schedule or or plans for your kids or things uh, that you're wanting to accomplish in your life with your family. Others in the room, what are you holding on to? Your job or your success or your comfort? Like what did you come in with this morning? Maybe it's the health of someone you love. All these aren't bad things, but when you hold on to it and you try to control it, your life, then Jesus becomes a threat to you. And if you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, then he will become a threat. So then we get Jesus' response in verse 29. Verse 29, he says, uh, Jesus answered them and he he gives two reasons as to why they've come to this point. You are mistaken. Why? Because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. Those are connected and related, but two reasons. You don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. 
So Jesus has become a threat because they don't know the Bible or they don't know the power of God. Jesus became a threat and they stopped reading the whole Bible. They just held on to some of it and only some of it that kind of pushed forward their control and their plans. Has this happened to you? And maybe you didn't come in this morning going, yeah, Jesus is a threat. I don't think anybody did, honestly. Maybe. But you're not coming in this morning going, man, Jesus is a threat to my family. I'm going to protect everything from him. And though that may not be our intentions, that can be uh, in line with our actions. So if you would come in this morning, you're holding on to something, trying to control it, uh, all of these things. I'll just ask you the question, what are you holding on to? Are you reading your Bible and growing uh, in your relationship with Christ? Or are you turning to other things? What gets the most of your time? And I'm not here to co- condemn you or say, hey, this is bad or good or whatever. I just want you to self uh, ask, ask yourself and go, man, what am I doing? What does my life look like? Is something robbing my time from my relationship with God or reading the Bible? Are you knowing the Bible? Because this is true. Your knowledge of the Bible contributes to your trust in God. These are, these are linked. You don't know the scriptures or the power of God. And the language there, that links those two together. And so uh, knowing the Bible and knowing what he says and knowing God more leads to trusting him more. So how well are you trusting God? Maybe it goes back to uh, not knowing God. Has your busyness robbed time to grow in your relationship with God? Has Jesus become a threat uh, to you when you have to drop things or do things differently to walk in line with the way that he's called you to? And if you're having to drop these things, and eventually he may become a threat. Seniors, if you don't prioritize this in your life, it's not going to happen. Like when you go to college, when you hit that campus, or when you get into the workforce, and you're out of your parents' house, which I know you're super ready for. Just be honest, right? No hard feelings. But when you get there, and there's nobody telling you to go to church, or nobody telling you to do this, or nobody telling you how to prioritize your time, if you lose priority on knowing the Bible and knowing God more, you will, uh, he will eventually call something uh, to you that's really hard to give. He will eventually become a threat. It's just going to happen. It's happened in my life. How the Sadducees get here, because Jesus ultimately became a threat. And when you, when you want to know him more, then you believe in him more. Then you know more about his power. And this wasn't something that was happening with the Sadducees. Why? Because they didn't know the Bible or they didn't know the power of God. And then Jesus actually gives an answer to their question in verse 30. He says, for in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given marriage, but are like angels in heaven. So he gives them a different picture than what they knew because they didn't know this. Again, they didn't know the, scripture, uh, the, the scriptures of the Bible. They didn't know the power of God, and so they're not even thinking on the same wavelength. It says, hey, uh, this actually, marriage isn't going to be here, but they're going to be like angels. This would have been something that the Sadducees rejected because they thought when death happened, then all, everything died, eh? spirits and all that stuff. Your soul didn't live on, and so they, they just said everything died, and And Jesus is saying this will be like angels, but then he quickly turns back to the heart of the issue, which I think is the heart of the issue for us this morning. He says in verse 31, now concerning the resurrection of the dead, 
Again, haven't you read? Haven't you read? And Jesus isn't trying to belittle them. He is sternly recognizing uh, and kind of telling them and correcting them. Hey, haven't you read these things? He references uh, this verse in 32, and that's actually Exodus 3, a book that is in the Pentateuch, one that they would have upheld and said, this is true, and this is right, and this is good. References Moses and the burning bush. A point in Moses' life where Moses is walking kind of through the desert, wondering what he's going to do, uh, struggling with what God's calling him to, which is going to Pharaoh. And God appears to him in a burning bush, reassures him that he's going to be with him and that he's watching him and that he's there with him. And so he references, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Haven't you read these words? Don't you know this? And then when he says the very ending, he's not the God of the dead, but of the living. For the Sadducees, it was all about death after. Jesus answers, he's not the God of the dead, but he's the God of the living. But I want to go back to what he says in verse 31. Haven't you read? Why would he say this? Because they have read it. They did know it. They did uphold it. It was part of the Pentateuch. It was part of what they said is true and right. Jesus didn't have to go outside of that. The reality is when they held on to control, they forgot the promises of God. And when you hold on to control in your life, you will forget the promises of God. When you're hanging on so tight, Jesus becomes a threat. And you will forget God's promises. You'll stop reading and trusting who he is. You know, when my dad was pulling us in the tube, at some point towards the end of the day, as the throttle got lower and lower and seemed like we were going faster and faster and faster, there would come to a point where we would finally just let go. Like, I'm done. This was the only way we could win, right? Because then he's like, hey, why'd you, why'd you let go? Dad, I'm, I'm just tired. I can't. And so right before the last big turn where he's about to sweep us out and try to flip us over or throw us out of the tube, it's kind of a game. Right before that happens, I would just let go. Just let go. Kind of relax my body and then it wouldn't hurt. You just kind of fall off and things were good. And I think this is such a picture of maybe what you need to do and maybe what we're called to do, what we see in the Sadducees is they just couldn't let go. There's times in your life where you realize, man, I, I don't got this. I can't hang on anymore, so I'm just going to let go and fall into the grace of God. When you do that, it's a really good thing. Charles Spurgeon, who was a preacher uh, several hundred years ago, but really impactful in England, said this, I've learned to kiss the waves that throws me up against the rock of ages. Kind of interesting quotes, one I've had in my office for a long time. But when we realize that we are not in control and finally let go and fall into the grace of God, then we realize the hope that we have in him. But you've got to let go. What are you holding on to this morning? Oh, I'm sorry. Go back one more. Maybe. There we go. Thank you. 
This word right here. And when the crowds heard this, what? They were astonished. I think it's so interesting about what this is saying here because it's not saying uh, just a certain group of people were astonished. Everybody was astonished but the Sadducees. Everybody was astonished but the Pharisees, but the Herodians. Everybody was astonished but this group of people. No, they, they were all astonished. The only difference is in those two groups is that there were probably Sadducees and Pharisees and Herodians who still walked out carrying control of their life. And Jesus continued to be a threat. They continued to live in ways and forget the promises of God, and they continued to try to undermine God's authority, thinking that they knew better. This is what happened. My hope and my prayer is that this morning you have been astonished by a true and a living God. My preaching doesn't do that. It's God showing up in this room. And if God is putting something on your heart this morning to let go of and to give him control of, then that's him, not me. Be astonished. Be astonished at what he's telling you and what he's calling you to and who he is and his promises and his power and all of these things. But do not leave here today carrying the stuff that you came in with. Don't do it. Why? Because the longer you carry these things and the more things that you try to hold on to, Again, seniors, your future or your plans or your control, parents, your plans for your kids, the things that you want, the other things that are going on, the more you hold on to that, your job or your money or your comfort or whatever it may be, the more you hold on to that, Jesus will become a threat to your life and you'll forget the promises that God's given to you. What do you need to let go of this morning? Altar will be open in just a moment. Maybe you would step in here and say, man, I've never uh, started a relationship with Jesus, and you need to do that now. You need to let go of your control of your life. It's the hardest thing for you to do as a human because of the brokenness of our sin. Seems easy, but it's hard. If you're there, you know that. Maybe something happened this morning, something happened last week, something happened in this season of life that you're just struggling to let go of, and you need to let go of that this morning. Don't, don't walk out of here meeting with God, him recognizing that and bringing that up in your life and then leaving, astonished, but nothing's changed, carrying the same thing that you came in carrying. Let me pray for you. God, we love you, and Lord, we just are so grateful for the promises that you've made to us. God, I'm grateful for this senior class, I'm grateful for their parents and all of these people that are in this room now. But Lord, I'm, I'm most grateful that we can have an encounter with you here. And in the midst of that encounter, in the midst of what we've heard, in the midst of what we're feeling in our emotions and our heart about, man, man maybe I should, I should dial this back a little bit, or maybe I should stop worrying about this, or maybe I should seek help to figure out what this looks like. Or maybe you're calling someone to give their life to you and just let go. God, I pray that we would let go and fall into your grace. We weren't meant to hang on. We were meant to let go and trust you.
And God, I know that that does not make things easier. That doesn't solve the problem that we face when we walk out of these doors. It doesn't uh, alleviate the tension that we're feeling in this moment or in this season of change. But God, it helps us to continue to trust in you so that you don't become a threat to our lives. And it helps us to remember your promises and trust in them. God, help us this morning to let go. It's in your name we pray. Amen.